You're listening to Why Try, the podcast. Chris Kiefer is founder of Sky Media, a company specializing in branding and marketing specifically for oral surgery clinics. We talk about how he chose this particular extremely narrow niche and the benefits of doing so. From there, we branched into a broader set of topics that I describe in more depth in the show notes. I hope you'll enjoy this conversation. So Sky Media is a branding and marketing company that does essentially all the usual marketing or creative services that a typical agency would do, but we just work with oral surgeons and uh, dentists. That's something that I was like really curious about, um, just in terms of, like the narrowness of your specialty. So can you talk a little bit about why that is? Like why is such a, why that particular slice? It's kind of, I guess the, the easiest way for me to explain this is to go back to, to give you like a quick rundown of why I ended up here. And I would say I, ever since you know, I was in high school, I kind of always was super interested and intrigued by leadership and then business and basically just building stuff. I graduated from college with an engineering degree, went directly into engineering, lasted for about six months on the job before I just realized I, I wanted to essentially challenge myself a little more and um, started a company. And at the time, I didn't even really know what that meant to start a production company and what I was going to do. But I just know that it was something that I needed to like take a stab at. Um, and then over the next four years, so actually November 12th, of this year, 2017, is four years since I officially like got the articles of incorporation of Sky. And it has grown and changed and evolved tremendously in that time. And the reason that we have settled on oral surgery as a focus is basically from a series of, I would call them um, failures, to be honest, but I don't think that I look at failure in the same way that most people do. I think it's all been very good failure. Um, And failure has been something that I'm very obsessed with and passionate about. And I think it's super fascinating to basically try, like anytime you're going to tackle anything or approach something, I look at it as basically you wanna try and find as many ways as possible that something is not going to work and get rid of those as options and try to get to something that is um, more viable. So we settled on oral surgery because we had previously worked with dentists and oral surgeons when we were a general marketing company. And when we were looking at how we wanted to scale, uh, we needed to pick a particular industry and um, you know, start creating replicable or duplicatable or replicable products like templates for websites and whatnot that, uh, and in order to do that, you have to have a, a niche. So that's what we ended up selecting. So there's a, there's a need in your, your line of business. And I guess like generally most businesses to avoid reinventing the wheel with each new client, like you can offer like a much better value. Um, I mean, both on a price point and then in terms of like your expertise and uh, speed and being able to deliver it, you can offer just a higher value when you have that narrow slice. Exactly. I could say that's very well said. And I would say something that I've come to realize with marketing or just the creative services, anything digital, really, in my opinion, and this is not the opinion that I had four years ago, but you take a random business that exists in the world, whether it's a 
engineering company or a painting company or a metal fabricating company or whatever, the only reason that they are working with a general marketing company is because they haven't found the niche company that exists somewhere in the world to provide the services that their particular type of business and industry requires. And it's be, I guess I would say it's, it's also just, um, it's essentially because when you, just like you said, when you can start replicating something, especially for these small, medium-sized businesses, it doesn't matter if, you know, Dr. Johnson's clinic in Portland has the exact same website as Dr. Smith's clinic in Orlando because the their clients are not comparing them to each other. When you have like all these service-based or service-based companies that exist, um, it's foolish and it's a huge waste of money in my opinion for someone to basically seek out an agency to build something completely custom from scratch for their company. And that's what you have to do if you're a generalist. It's just a, a very inefficient and costly for that um, business that's paying for it. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, with the, the example you gave, do you have to be careful to avoid duplication on companies that say, uh, like two companies are rivals in the same city? Do you have to uh, be kind of careful on giving them uh, separate designs? Uh, for us, we have not run into that problem yet. Um, but there are definitely companies out there um, that, and there's one company in particular um, who has a very large portion of the dental market. And they essentially, you, you come up with, you know, a handful of templates or designs or themes um, that are designed of modules, basically. And then you can take and uh, pick and choose which pieces you want in the design. Um, and um, but yeah, if the the other thing is to be comp to be honest with what we're doing, we probably we have less of a desire to seek out um, like if we if we get uh, an oral surgeon that works on First Street, we're not going to try and get the one that works on Fifth Street a couple blocks down because um, we're basically making the chance of us succeeding for this one client harder because now we're implementing the same tactics with someone else that is a direct competitor of theirs. Um, we personally don't have, just be, and this is basically at a lack of necessity at this point in our journey, we haven't created like a radius of like um, no competition for our clients. But um, yes, you definitely would have a few different templates for people to choose from. Um, even if you didn't have uh, several clients in the same area, just, you know, to give people some basic options. Another thing, you mentioned this kind of dominant player in your industry. Did you, did you know that they existed before you got into this business? Um, yes. So that was, uh, we basically looked at, um, did, and when we were deciding on oral surgery, we were looking at a number of different routes that we could go and we almost went with dentistry but the dentistry space is extremely crowded and um there i mean there's hundreds of and this might be crazy to read or to hear but there are hundreds of companies that say that they specialize in dentistry for marketing 
for marketing, yeah, for websites and stuff. And a lot of them, keeping in mind, a lot of them are probably, you know, they've got four clients or something and they're struggling. Um, but there are, like if you go look at dental websites just in your area, you'll see the same names start to pop up. Um, but then there's also a number of companies that you probably have never heard of and you go check out their website and they say that they're dental marketing company. Um, but we did know, and the reason we went with oral surgery, um, and then it kind of branched out to other specialties, is dentists are business to consumer based as far as their model. So they're trying to get, like they're trying to market directly to the, the person or the patient. Whereas oral surgery and other specialists rely heavily on the referral from the dentist. And so they're, they operate more as a business to business like model and the, their needs are slightly different. And there's an opportunity for us to tell a, a more unique story in that sales process to pitch ourselves to them. So when you were looking at the bigger competitor, were you thinking like this is a more consolidated industry, like you get higher margins or was it like, I, what was your thinking there that you, what made you think you wouldn't just get crushed by them? Um, basically, uh, it was a little bit, it was some, a couple different things, but we had talked to, well, I guess I would say marketing in general and just the digital needs of businesses is evolving very rapidly. Um, and what's capable or, and or possible has changed. And I'll try and use like a very specific example to illustrate this, but you know, 15 years ago, if you had a website, just anything that online, like that was pretty impressive. And then say 10 years ago, it was like, if you had photos on your website, like you were way ahead of the curve, like it, your website was really cool and everything. And then, you know, five years ago, video, you're kind of a front runner. And now it's getting into more, like nowadays there's all those things are, like it, you can't even imagine a website without photo and video on it really. And so times are changing and evolving, but because of technology and how you can source that creative work, I believe that this other competitor is doing a poor job of like their websites look very bad. Um, they're, they're not, they're a little old school. They have some newer ones that are coming out. Like, and again, they just basically run on themes, but they just seem to be, and our plan is that like with most companies, it was nice to know that there is a company that exists out there that has dominated and is, is doing well in the space because we know that there's an opportunity there and there's a need and then we just have to figure out, and what we're currently doing is trying to find a way to approach that uh, a little bit differently um, and a little you know, cleaner, modern design, and then focus on um, where things are going. So uh, one thing that, has, that we have learned in this process, when we pivoted away from general marketing to the niche of oral surgery, are like getting new clients is um, like the first thing you have to do to validate whether or not you're gonna have a successful business or even have a, a shot at a successful business. 
And so we did the, you know, very, it might, it's not rocket science, I always think, when you're trying to get new clients and it basically consists of picking up the phone and calling hundreds of offices. And that's what we did. We just Google searched in cities and started calling um, oral surgery offices. And anytime you're cold calling, you're gonna have a fairly low rate of return on that. But what we found out after about two months of this very intensive calling, we reached out to around 350 offices around the country. Um, and uh, it was very hard. The problem that we ran into was you're trying to convince a business that has never heard of you to make a fairly substantial investment in a new website that they already have. And you're, you're telling them that it's gonna be you know a little bit better or whatever, but most people have already had numerous bad experiences with marketing companies and they, it's, they don't, there's no reason for them to trust you any more than the company they do currently. And we weren't really offering uh, something that was exponentially better and or like something that like cause that would justify taking that risk. So what we ended up doing was we created a software that's a very low cost, um, low risk option for them that solved one specific problem that all oral surgeons have, and that is reviews. So the system, are, the way that we're getting into the market now is by cold calling and introducing our one particular software product, which is called Boolean. And Boolean is a review system that makes it very, very easy for patients to leave reviews on Google, Yelp, and Facebook, and a number of other small platforms because that's, an, that's massively critical for dentists and oral surgeons and any business nowadays, really. Um, and so anyways, long story short, instead of going and approaching them and having a cold call that sounded something like, my name's Chris from Sky, we're a branding and marketing company that works with oral surgeons. Can I speak with your marketing director? And they're like, we already have a website, we're not interested, click. Now it's more like, I noticed that you guys only have 10 reviews on Google. Is there a strategic reason that you are not asking more patients for those? And so we, the problem that we're solving initially is very specific. And then when we get into the sales call, the risk that they're taking in working with a new company is you know $20 a month. And now we have them into a system where we can um, talk to them and develop a relationship built on trust because we've already done what we said we were gonna do with this low cost option. And then, you know, presumably the goal is six months from now, we can introduce to them, you know, like, hey, did you know that we also do websites? And we've got a great network of photographers and videographers around the country and we can help you with these other needs as well. But the hardest part was definitely trying to figure out how do you get somebody who's never heard of you and has no reason to trust you to start doing business with you. Yeah, that's that's a super interesting approach. It seems like you have this technology that you can really, you have a lot of optionality there in, in terms of not just this this particular market segment, but uh, potentially like a lot of other ones. What, what do you see in the future for your business? I actually, I was reading a book recently because uh, I used to have this, you know, crazy, exciting vision of like where we're going. And, you know, I don't know if you've heard of the big, hairy, audacious goal 
and things like that that were that I was really focused on and like spent a lot of time trying to think of. Um, but in this book that I'm reading currently called Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday, it's a great book. Um, Paul Graham, who is one of the uh, founders and I think one of the directors of Y Combinator, uh, one of the venture capital companies down in San Francisco. Um, I didn't know this, but apparently he cautions businesses against having these crazy um, audacious goals in the early stages when they're still trying to figure out who they are and what they do. And it was the first time I'd ever read a book that I felt was more geared towards a early, early startup, which I still consider ourselves because we've, we've been in business for four years, but we really have been in the niche of oral surgery for about five months. And the reason for that, that he states is because if you think about all these massively successful companies like um, Slack and YouTube and Facebook and um, Google and any any big company, they now have these very like impressive, like um, future oriented vision for their company. But it started out with like like I don't know I think Slack was they were a bunch of gamers that were like communicating over a um, like an instant messaging thing, and they were like, hey, this might be something more valuable for other businesses to use. And Facebook, you know, it was basically like a dating, like they were trying to, from what I've heard or read, it was almost like Tinder that they had accidentally created. And then it was once they started realizing that there was something there that they could scale, then all of a sudden there's, you have a business and now you have a reason or a need to create a more like defined long-term goal. So my answer now, again, had I, um, I used to have these and I still do have kind of um, less tangible dreams or aspirations, but to be honest, in the near future, what I see for Sky is basically really trying to um, solve problems for oral surgeons and dentists. For example, we started out with making these videos that were like gonna be super inspiring and change the world and inspire millions and millions of people. And in reality, it's like, I would say we, it, it's good to be driven by that. But at the end of the day, you have to find out if you even have a viable business before you do that. And so like, at this stage, having Boolean, for example, that's a very tangible product that does solve a specific problem, and it's a it's a it's a need that is going to become even more successful with voice search and you know automation and um, artificially intelligent assistance and things like that, which is coming into all the different spaces. I would love to see Sky in the you know two years from now, really hone our service offering in that space. But say, you know, five, 10 years from now, um, I really have a desire to grow into a bigger marketing company that is working in healthcare and possibly influencing and, and making changes for the better from the patient perspective on just better um, experience for um, the business to patient relationship. 
And how does that happen? That's where, again, like I don't, we don't focus on that too much because the step one is just trying to create that sustainable business that has a product and a service that is worthwhile and well delivered. Um, but that's kind of the intangible where I see us going is into you know scale oral surgery or dentistry and then maybe jump into parallel healthcare industries to ultimately going up to you know massive hospital systems okay that's interesting uh, and this this um might not be something that makes it into the podcast but uh, uh have you read the book rework yeah uh i have i actually did like three years ago by jason uh freed right from uh, uh base camp yeah, yeah good memory uh, yeah, basically, I mean, the the whole book is basically saying like, uh, it's it's kind of similar to that, uh, what you're saying about ego in terms of uh, people have this desire to create like the next, you know, like next unicorn where they just, they want to take whatever the company they have and just scale, scale, scale and just grow like super quickly and just serve like as many people as possible and do as many things as possible. But theirs is almost more like, uh, I think it's called like Wu Wei where it's like uh, like selectively not doing. So instead of trying to run around with your hair on fire and like be like super busy and productive that way, they basically say like pick like one, maybe two things and do those things exceptionally well and just ig like l ignore everything else. Like if people ask you like, well, can you add this feature? But just like, unless like everyone is coming to you saying like, we need this feature. Just like, no, like, and just continually like shed that 5% of people that are like high maintenance. No. And I, I totally, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I agree with that. And I, I wish I, you're actually making me think I should go read that book again. Yeah. Well, it's really short. It, it doesn't really go in depth on anything. Yeah. If I remember correctly, that was, they were talking about basically how you should sell your byproducts too. Is that the right book that I'm thinking of? Yeah, I think like, that, that was one of them. Uh, lumber mills, lumber mills, for example, they were cutting up wood forever, and then all of a sudden, someone realized that the sawdust that they had been paying to like take to the landfill was actually valuable for some people, and they started selling it to like blueberry fields, you know, and trying to you focus on your craft, but also basically try to in my I don't know if this is the analogy that they use, but it's like you have an orange or a lemon and you're trying to squeeze every last bit of juice out of your business. And basically, you know, it's almost like trying to become green in like the, you know, uh, econo or um, environmental sense with your business and making sure that you don't have any wasted um, byproducts that you're not utilizing. Um, but then at the same time, I think that it's, it's key to, um, and the, um, the, the quote that I think of when you say that is, um, I think it's a quote from another book called Scaling Up by Vern Harnish. Um, he says that businesses rarely die of um, starvation, they die of indigestion which I think is a fantastic metaphor. And it's very true uh, that we, it's, it's it, the, the path to success or the hardest part of becoming successful is knowing what you should eat. And then, you know, saying no to all the other things that are right in front of you that are really just gonna give you indigestion and slow down, you know, 
It's like you're training for a marathon and you've got to be pretty picky about what you're going to eat on that marathon, but you're like sitting in front of a buffet every single day and you have to just like keep focused on what it is that you really need to be successful. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I definitely agree with that. And it's something that we still struggle with. Do you want to kind of pivot into another area? Sure. I'm curious, and I've, I've started asking people this somewhat recently, uh, what do you think it is that makes you entrepreneurial or that makes other people entrepreneurial? Um, I, I would say that um, I think that on, like just straight up, like one or I guess a question that I feel like goes along with that is, can you teach someone to be entrepreneurial? Because I was, I my thought is, uh, as far as what makes me entrepreneurial, if I'm trying to figure that out, and have I become more entrepreneurial in the like since I started, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I've read a lot of bios of successful people, um, but uh, or biographies, I guess, uh, the long version of the bios. But I feel like for me, the only thing that I can remember is from a very early age. Um, and I guess this is what led me to business to begin with. My dad, I remember my dad telling me, um, cause I'm, I, I'm six, six, so I'm, uh, taller than average and, or taller than, you know, 80, 90% of people. Um, and my dad would always tell me that he'd say, Chris, you're a leader because people look up to you. Like they have to look up to you physically and you have to remember that, um, you can basically choose to be a leader and lead people to good things, or you can use that to be, you know, uh, lead them to bad things. Sort of like the, the um, Spider-Man with great power comes great responsibility. But I do believe that a portion of my, um, the, like the, the thing that ignited me was just 100% having parents that... Um, tell you that you can do it or that you you can do anything and they believe in you and they really you just know that they love and care about you but i feel like i've also seen that's that's my story is i feel like one of the things that made me entrepreneurial was um believing and that having the belief instilled in me by my parents that i could be successful and then the other part of that was seeing my, both of my parents worked, my mom worked from home, but she had a number of businesses and um, she, was base, she was very entrepreneurial growing up and my parents worked a lot and they worked hard, but they were always present and um, my dad was a teacher, so we were able to go on you know, family vacations in the summertime and it was really cool to have both of your parents home at five o'clock or, you know, right when um, the kids are coming home. And there was, I had some friends in high school that, you know, their parents were frequently gone on business trips and all this stuff. And that wasn't really the case with my family. So that's one side that I would say that makes me entrepreneurial was seeing it represented by my parents, just working hard and basically, you know, taking fate into your own hands, so to speak. Um, but then the other thing is as far as like, just I've heard stories of people that basically came from terrible upbringing and they also somehow discover a drive within them. Um, so I don't know. I do, I do think though that you definitely not so much born that way, 
um, although I heard from somewhere recently that they've they've been able to identify like a particular trait or gene or something that most entrepreneurs have, which I don't I don't know if I totally buy that, but I do think that it's uh, more from nurture than nature, but nurture fairly early on in your life. If I had to pick, I do think that I have I do think that I have um, ADD. I've never been diagnosed with it. But I definitely am, uh, I don't think I have ADHD, but I have always been um, someone that has a hard time focusing, even like with reading. I have a hard time reading physical books. I love listening to stuff. But um, yeah, I, I do think that there probably is a, um, a high correlation with entrepreneurs and um, ADD, which I don't, I, I also, one reason I, I feel like I could have been tested a couple times, I am of the belief that there's not really any um, disorders like ADD or ADHD. Um, I think it's just a it's just a different type of person, and you have to figure out how to live with the way that you're wired, basically. And obviously, if you try and force someone who's not meant to sit in a cubicle to sit in a cubicle, they're probably going to have to take some medication for that. Whereas I would say the the correct path might be, you know, they should be some sort of physical, they, they should do something more active potentially or be outside or, you know, maybe that is entrepreneurship. Um, but yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. It, it makes me think back to, um, I, I taught high school for a year and some of the students who were most frustrating to deal with, like behaviorally, like they couldn't sit still, they didn't, couldn't pay attention very well. Um, looking back on it, like I'd be very surprised if they didn't turn out um, to to be pretty successful in like whatever endeavor they choose, just because they once they find an environment that's you know where you're not sitting for six hours a day, where you can be a little bit more active, I think they'll like really flourish and do really remarkable things. Um, so I was kind of curious, how did you, what made you decide uh, to start this company? Like what? Like, how did you get into it? Like, I think you talked a little bit about getting, um, like, a series of accidents. Uh, do you want to talk about that more? Like, kind of what specifically led you into this company? When I was in college um, and just growing up, I was always um, building things. I played with a lot of Legos and Connects when I was a kid. And I was told from an early age that I was... Um, an engineer because I played with Legos, basically. Um, and so that was what I pursued in school because I didn't know what else to pursue. And then my junior year of college, um, my dad, uh, this was right in the beginning of my junior year, my dad was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and three months later he died. Um, so it was not, it was, it was unexpected, but it wasn't like a car accident unexpected. We had a very short, like three month window of grieving or like, you know, semi aware that this was gonna happen. Um, but anyways, I like to say that I, um, looking back on it, and I actually created a video um, that I titled, Why I'm Glad My Dad Died, which is um, on the surface a pretty heartless comment to make. Um, but what I, what I realized looking back, cause it's now been about six years, I believe, six years since he passed away. 
And looking back on that, what that like enabled me to do was basically rapidly mature um, and basically all of my priorities in life, what I was seeking changed. My dad was a PE teacher and um, you know, I, I remember going to school with people whose dads were like working at Intel and all these, like it sounded like they had really cool jobs. But I feel like as kids, everyone else's parents are always cooler than your parents. And uh, it was looking, you know, I always thought like, oh, my dad's just a PE teacher. Um, nothing fancy, like he's not super smart. He's just a really like loving, and he, he was smart and like street smart, I would say. Uh, but at his funeral, he had his like six or 700 people that showed up to his funeral and it was standing room, room only at the biggest Catholic church they could find in Hillsborough. And um, it was slow, a slow realization over the rest of my college. And then as soon as I started in the real world, realizing I don't really, like I want to do something that's a little bit more meaningful or that has like the potential to get me more fulfillment in life than just kind of showing up and doing a nine to five job and you know solving math problems every day. Um, and so that's, I really am grateful now. Um, and this is another Ryan Holiday, one of my currently or at the moment anyways, one of my favorite authors wrote another book called um, The Obstacle is the Way, which I think is a huge, um, thing that I just feel, I wish that everybody could understand and really process what that means, but basically understanding that every single failure and or big obstacle in your life is a massive opportunity that you are given that nobody else is given. And generally it's the biggest, like most painful uh, obstacles that are the ones that you really have to approach with like, an open mind and open heart and like how, what am I supposed to learn from this? Or how is this supposed to make me a better person or unique in some way? But I feel like that is a, a huge thing that when that happened, again, I it was very difficult for several years, but that kind of propelled me into this discomfort in my job when I was an engineer. And I basically just, you know, on one day, not, I mean, it seemed like it was just on a whim. I was like, you know what? I don't want to do this. I'm going to start a company. And so I bought a drone and started, you know, taking photos and videos of people and houses and things and charging people for it. And then rapidly learning business along the way and trying to be smarter and, you know, just developing that process more as, as I went. Definitely a really hard way to come to it, but it seems like still like a really important um something mm -hmm. yeah uh, it's one of those things that i feel like i i would do anything to have my dad back but it's just like you know it's life you it sucks so deal with it suck it up learn from it be a better person help other people that maybe are going through the same thing and realize that no matter how pissed or frustrated you get it's not going to change anything um and a lot, of, and to, you know, the last thing I'll say about that is it's easier to talk about this and to say it like I don't, you know, like it's not hard because it is difficult and everyone has their own struggles that are of varying degrees of difficulty, but it doesn't do you or anyone else any good to kind of try and figure out who had it worse or, you know, 
you know what I'm saying. But yeah, you just have to basically take the obstacles that life gives you and figure out how to make the most of it and realize that, that that's what makes you, you. A lot of wisdom there, I think. So when, when you look, think about your own life, what does success look like to you personally? The number one thing that, um, that I care about most and like, I feel like I've already, I'm already, I already am successful, which is a weird thing to say at this point, because I've got a lot of other things that I want to accomplish, but I feel that I have, well, simply said success for me is helping and pushing other people to be the best version of themselves. So as long as I continue doing that, um, I will continue being successful. And I feel that I've already been successful. Um, and just looking back on the people that I have had the, the blessing and the honor to work with and um, feeling good about seeing what they're doing now. Some people, you know, we didn't always leave um, on great terms, but it always ended up better um, as far as like employees in our company. But it's really exciting and just a rewarding thing for me to be able to see that anyone that I've come in contact with, my goal is always that I, I hope that they are better, that they're better off or that they've learned something or they've taken something away that makes them more successful in a way that they maybe would not have been had they not met me. Could, could you share any thoughts on this and like, like where you find uh, your sense of uh personal purpose in like marketing for, um, you know, oral surgeons and dentists and just, just generally marketing. So how do I find, how do I feel good about myself when all I'm doing at the end of the day is marketing dentistry? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, yeah, I think I heard you laugh. I, that's, that's good. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that, uh, I mean, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's like, you come, you come out of the womb thinking, you know, you, you want to be, you know, this valiant knight and, you know, fight for good and make the world a better place and all this stuff. And then, like, how are you supposed to do that if you're just a PE teacher or if you're just an engineer or if you just do marketing? And I think the answer is basically in how you phrase it, you know. There's this saying that I've heard called, um, it's just the, the bricklayer's parable. And the first, there's three bricklayers and they're asked the question, what are you doing? And the first one says, I'm laying bricks. The second one says, I'm building a church. And the third one says, I'm building the house of God. And the first bricklayer is the one who has a job. The second one is the one who has a career. And the third one who has a, is the one who has a calling. And that's something that I have um, thought about. I mean, you, you meet people all the time that are, you know, custodians or something. And um, I heard a story of John F. Kennedy stopped by this, the, you know, the space station. And there was a guy that was mopping the floor. And he said, you know, like, you know, sir or young man, what are you doing? And he looked at the president and stood up straight and saluted him and said, Mr. President, I'm putting a man on the moon. And all he was doing was mopping, you know? And so it's, it's kind of a weird, it's, it's not a very satisfactory answer, 
because, and I know this because I've been there and I feel like even sometimes I'm still there and I'll read parables like this or hear stories and it's like, yeah, 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 it's, it's all nice and fluffy, but how do you actually do it? And I really think that it just comes down to, I mean, it's just your perspective. Like if you're being present with the people that you work with and being a good person and honestly trying to help people is um, like you can, it doesn't matter what you do as long as you are in, and this is what I would say is if I, if I'm being becoming and attempting to be the best version of myself every day, and I'm also inspiring and or helping other people to do the same thing, that's all I could ever hope to do in life. And I can do that on a massive scale and, you know, make a billion dollar company, or I can be a PE teacher or I can be a custodian. But I feel like if you lose that at any point in any of those jobs, you just, you know, you don't, you lose your purpose if you're, if you get sucked into um, your ego, you know, or, or the amount of money you make or like comparing yourself to others because we're all so different. I think it's something that I've generally like appreciated more, like the, the more time I spend outside of school that like, there's a lot of, like, you can't really define yourself like externally, like there's a lot of flashy stuff that um, you could say like, oh, I'm a, I'm a partner in this prestigious financial firm or whatever. But uh, really what matters, I think, is the more of the day-to-day like sense of who you are and kind of the, the impact that you can have on other people's lives too. So I don't know. So anyway, thanks for humoring me with that question, even though I did probably phrase it um, a little bit bluntly. Oh no, I, I know exactly what you meant. I think it's funny to I we joke about that all the time. There's a lot of people that uh, used to work at Sky that swore that they never wanted to do um, only work with dentists. <laughs> and I was like, I mean, I know what you mean, but there's more to it than it's just how you approach it. Like, oh, I only work with dentists, or it's like. I work with really, you know, passionate, like you can, there's lots of, it's in in anything. Like there's lots of dentists that I wouldn't want to work for, but there's a lot of dentists that are really good people that are doing amazing things in the world. And those are the people that I want to be connected to. You know, it's a, it's just aligning yourself with other people in whatever industry that you're in that are also, in my opinion, just good hearted people that are trying to make the world a better place, really. What's the hardest part of your business? and why I would say the hardest part and this is going to be maybe unexpected um, the hardest part is really the um, and I, I, I spend so much time focusing on myself and how inefficient I am but the hardest part is really um, trying to figure out how you are going to spend your day for me like there's a lot of things that I need to be doing but um, I think it's a, it's a very hard skill to be a, a very, like you were talking about with Jason Fried talking about um, getting your work done from eight to five. Um, I have a hard time with like, oh, I'm only gonna work eight to five because I actually really enjoy what I do. Um, and I always look at it like, when I get done working, rather than, I don't really have a desire to start watching Netflix, I'd rather start working on something else that I'm passionate about because it's fun for me. But the hardest part is definitely like disciplining myself in, I need to be making cold calls every day, I need to be writing every day, I need to create content every day, 
I need to, you know, be a leader and develop processes and help other people and, and helping them develop management and leadership skills. But it's just a balancing act. And so that's more, I guess that's kind of a cop out of the, the, an answer to that question. But that's one thing that is, I feel the most difficult for me personally. But as far as like the tactical side of the business, I would say the hardest part is definitely, and this is what we are in the thick of right now, how do you call someone on the phone, having never talked to them before, and get them to um, trust you in a short period of time to you know, take on their website or services or um, who knows what, you know, like what, whether it's $500 or $20,000, um, there's definitely a skill and a craft that's, uh, that we're working on in like rapidly building trust and, and brand, building a brand that people trust um, quickly. And that I would say is the hardest thing that we're facing. What do you think the highest return on your time is for like a non-urgent activity? Um, I would say, hmm, I, I don't, I think that it, it really is like, um, it's a long game, long return that I have yet to see the return on. But I really feel good about myself when I write an article and or when I create a video that is giving like tangible advice to somebody about the industry that we're serving. Um, but the thing is that um, it generally is not, you don't see that until, you know, a year later. But you, you know, like a book takes six months to write, but sometimes you don't even see the, the true results of that effort until 20 years after the book's been out, you know, or who knows, like, it just, but sometimes those things that, um, I guess the way I would answer that as I'm thinking about this is the highest return is often the things that um, are most difficult to measure the value of, if that makes sense. Like if you can quantify the value of something, you pretty much have determined like, oh, I can make 10 phone calls and schedule a demo. That I've determined that and you know, I can, perform six demos and sign up three customers and you can like quantify that but there's like there's the other side which is your brand and your reputation and I think that's something that is infinitely more valuable and grows in value every day but you have to be working on it every day yeah so, something that I think people talk about a lot is just generally like learning uh, and that's another one of the like it's really hard to put like a dollar value on it or like this podcast right like those are all uh fa fairly uh unquantifiable like in their benefit but then uh i don't think you could argue that it's there's no benefit and it's probably like a good long-term return but it's yeah you, you never know how it's really going to work out exactly yeah and actually this podcast is a fantastic example of that it's like the, every day you could wake up and be like, how much money am I making from this? Oh yeah, I probably should only do things that are making me money today. But if that's all you ever did, you wouldn't, <laughs> that's all you're ever gonna get is just whatever you could make that day instead of not focusing on the money or the immediate return and focusing more on 
what brings you value personally and then trusting that there are other people out there that also find value in similar things that you find value in and making sure that you're doing a little bit of that every day. Uh, okay, so my last couple questions for you. Uh, what advice would you give to someone looking at uh, either starting their business or buying into a business today? I would say um, one of my favorite uh, lines is just fail fast, fail harder, fail. Um, the There's a, a very tangible, I ho- hopefully this is a piece of a tangible piece of advice that someone could actually go home and do tonight right after they listen to this. Um, and that is the number, if you start looking at and really think about how many things you never do in life because you're afraid, it's absolutely mind blowing. And um, I think it was either Tim Ferriss, I'll just say it was Tim Ferriss. He probably does this. I don't know if he was the original one that came up with this, but there's this thing called fear setting. Have you ever done that before? So fear setting, you basically, uh, just like goal setting, you list your fears and try and get very specific. Like early on for me, a fear was, um, if I leave my engineering job, I'm not gonna have any money to pay for my rent or utilities or whatever, you know? Maybe another fear later on in the business was, Um, we're not going to close this client or I'm not going to have enough opportunities or close enough deals to be able to pay my employees. Um, And I think from the business owner perspective, a lot of them honestly come down to money and just worrying that you're not gonna have enough. But if you can identify what it is, and I would say if we jump out of the money for a while, let's talk about like you're afraid to create a podcast because you think that your friends are going to think you're weird or you're afraid to create a YouTube show because you don't want to be like the nerdy YouTube guy that's on there, you know, talking about whatever you talk about. But if you actually dive into like, what do you actually, what is the, the concrete tangible thing that you're really afraid of? List that, so that's the step one in the left column. You break the page into three columns. The left column, you list all your fears. The middle column, you list what's, what are things that you could do, like tangible action steps, to minimize that from happening. So for example, if, you, if I'm afraid that um, I'm not gonna have enough deals closed by the end of the year, I could potentially invest one extra hour a day of prod- of prospecting. Or maybe I could call back all my past clients and ask them for recommendations. Or, you know, listing very concrete things you could do for that. Or maybe if I'm afraid I'm not gonna be able to make rent because I'm just starting up, I could potentially get a part-time job working at Domino's to make ends meet for a temporary term. Or, um, but you get the first column is list your fear, second column is, um, what could you do to minimize that fear from becoming a reality? And then the third column is, even if you do all those things and then that fear that you have actually happens, what could you do that would get you back to where you are today? And if you actually do that, so again, what are you afraid of? What could you do to prevent that from happening? And then the third is, even if you do those things and it still happens, what could you then do to get back to where you are? And you work through that for all of your fears, you realize that it's ne- there's never anything that's really that 
Like the worst case scenario usually isn't that bad. And even if it is bad, when you're actually able to quantify what it is you're afraid of, it generally gives you and potentially is that extra boost to get out there and go do whatever the thing is that you need to do. Um, but the, that's what I would say is like, one thing I'm passionate about is just follow, like dream big, do something bold and crazy, go after whatever, like if you have an idea for a business, like take a stab at it because you're never, you can never go back to where you are and you can always get another crappy job if you're not happy with the job that you're in, but you have to take action and then just screw up a couple times and plan on screwing up and feel good about yourself when you make mistakes because that's required in order to become successful like you want to be. So that's my, my roundabout uh, advice, I guess I would say, to anyone that's starting out. Then lastly, how about any, are there any books or other resources that have been um, especially valuable to, valuable to you over the years? Yes, I would say uh, for me, I think I mentioned this earlier, I have always had a hard time reading. Um, I just have a hard time focusing and I feel like I'm slow, but I listen to Audible a lot. Um, and so generally, if you were to ask me what my favorite book is, I will just tell you the one I'm currently listening to. Um, Amazon does a great job of giving recommendations based on past books that you've read. But um, one book that I'm, I'm, I still have an hour left, but it's just been fantastic. As I mentioned earlier, Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. Um, uh, then there, I will, I'm not just going to tell you the other recent ones. I, there are a few that have definitely stood out in my mind as really great books. Um, the War of Art by Stephen Pressfield is a fantastic book. Very short read. It's like you could finish it in an afternoon if you, if you wanted to. Um, but that talks about um, basically overcoming resistance in your life, which is basically procrastination. Um, but I think probably one of my all-time favorite books, which is just something that is just deeply ingrained in me, is, um, well, there's two, I guess. Grit by Angela Duckworth. Um, and that's, yeah, that's very, very good. I love that. And the other one is... Um, Mindset by Carol Dweck. Um, and that one, I'll, my 15 second summary is basically your, everybody has a mindset for different areas of their life and it's either fixed or growth. So you have a fixed mindset or a growth mindset in everything. And um, once you realize that, especially if you're an entrepreneur wanting to pursue entrepreneurial things, uh, just realize that the difference between, um, you know, the entry level programmer and Bill Gates is a whole bunch of mistakes and a whole bunch of repetitions and hours and hours of coding and programming and all this stuff. And, you know, there's a little bit of luck involved. Yes. And just timing. Um, cause I would never tell someone that if they just put in the same number of hours that Bill Gates did, they would become that. But there were a lot of other people that were in a similar stage and time as him. And the difference between him and someone else, in my opinion, is that he had a growth mindset, just like, you know, Walt Disney or Steve Jobs or 
um, Elon Musk. It's like reading the origin stories of these like business superheroes is very, very exciting for me. And that's what this book mindset is all about is just like, you, if you if you have a fixed mindset, it's basically like I'm as smart as I'm ever going to be. I'm going to make as much money as I'm ever going to make. But you, if you really truly believe that, like, you can always get smarter, you can always get faster, you can always make more money, you can always be more inspirational, you can always be a better speaker, if you just put in the work and you you know practice and screw up and fail, um, you can you can get better. So, um, but yeah, those are. I've got a whole list of books that I've just got. I feel like my biggest recommendation to anybody would just be start reading or consuming content that is legitimately going to like nonfiction podcasts, um, business books, leadership books, biographies, but find something that you're interested in and just there's so much knowledge out there um, for just waiting to be consumed that you can immediately implement into something that you're passionate about. Really good advice. Well, thanks for taking the time, Chris. I, I enjoyed talking to you. I, I think you shared a lot of really valuable things that I think, I think there's a lot that people can learn from our conversation. Yeah, no problem. I appreciate your time, Nicholas. And yeah, I'm always, uh, I don't know if you've done this in the past, but people can um, reach out to me through our website, but our, um, or my email is chris at sky.media, and that's uh, C-H-R-I-S at S-K-E-Y-E dot media. Um, but anyways, yeah, I um, I really appreciate yeah, where you else taking can people the time find you? And, and doing this. Um, if, they're, if they're really wanting to, this is something I have not uh, been advertising a lot, but I do have a YouTube channel that I have slowly been adding content to. If you just look up Chris Kiefer, um, should be able to find it somewhere on there. And then I'm um, I'm on uh, Facebook. I I have a love hate relationship with the social media channels, but it's something that I'm slowly ramping up. But um, uh, I feel like I'm not an impossible person to find online if you search for Chris Kiefer on Google. Um, there's a number of avenues, but um, yeah, I'm always. Uh, I love talking about business and kind of pushing yourself and being a, um, you know, just being a better person and um, solely for the sake of just, you know, seeing how good you can, um, you can be. So um, yeah, thanks again, Nicholas. I appreciate it. And uh, I look forward to hearing more of these from, from other people you interview. Thanks very much, Chris. You can find Chris and his company, Sky Media at sky.media. That's S-K-E-Y-E dot media you can also find his book recommendations as well as a link to his youtube channel in the show notes music for this podcast is by cambrian explosion we were once locked in a psych ward with jack nicholson based on a simple misunderstanding then some huge guy threw a water fountain through the wall and they escaped you can hear their psychedelic songs at cepdx.bandcamp.com apple itunes and spotify they also have a facebook page with upcoming events so be sure to check that out too if you ever want to see them live If you like this conversation and want to hear more like it, make sure you are subscribed in your podcast app. I've got a couple great conversations coming out next that you don't want to miss. Also, if you have a favorite episode, do me a favor and tell a friend about it to help grow the Y-Try community. For more interviews, writing, recipes, and book recommendations from me, check out nicholaspeel.com. Thanks for listening.